You may go with me to Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, we all know it's important to pay attention, right? Pay attention. I was thinking about this week, I was thinking about those quizzes. I don't ever remember having this pulled on me, but maybe you you have, and, and um, maybe you've done this if you're a teacher. You've, you've uh, pulled these quizzes, these uh, uh, these quizzes, maybe at the beginning of the school year, you ever take one of those quizzes where the teacher says, "Pay very close attention. You're gonna, we're gonna have a test on whether you can follow instructions or not. So follow the instructions very carefully." And and the and it says it says at the top, "Read, read everything first. And and like the last thing says, "Ignore all the other questions. Only answer one and two, or something like the third thing is shout your name out loud or something. So, so you know, when the person gets to the third thing, the the student that shouts their name out loud obviously didn't read the whole thing yet, right? Pay very close attention. You know, we, that, that's really important <laughs> that we pay close attention. We have um, road signs and, and things like that that we must pay close attention to, and sometimes there's warnings about uh, steep inclines or sharp curves, and it, and it pays to pay attention. Even, even in our relationships with people, you, you might invo- avoid a great embarrassment if you learn how to pay attention I like the story that's told of Franklin Roosevelt, who often endured long receiving lines at the White House. As the story goes, he complained that no one really paid any attention to what was said. One day during a reception, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who passed down the line and shook his hand, he murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. (laughs) The, The guests responded with phrases like, Marvelous, keep up the good work. We're proud of you. God bless you, sir. It was not till the end of the line when greeting the ambassador from Bolivia that his words were actually heard. Nonplussed, the ambassador leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. (laughs) Several years ago, Leadership Journal shared this list of questions one could use to evaluate whether they're truly a good listener or not, and I share it with you because maybe... Maybe you can recognize some of your own weaknesses in this as I see some of my own weaknesses in this very list. How good a listener are you? Number one, since you think about four times faster than a person usually talks, do you use this time to think about other things while you're keeping track of the conversation? Ouch. Number two, do you listen primarily for facts rather than ideas when someone is speaking? Another ouch. I catch myself doing that. Just tell me the facts. Don't tell me the story. I just want to know the bottom line. Number three, do you avoid listening to to things you feel will be too difficult to understand? Number four, do you think you can tell from a person's appearance and delivery that, that there won't be anything worthwhile said? Number five, when someone is talking to you, do you appear to be paying attention when you're not? Number six, do you, do certain words and phrases prejudice you so you cannot listen objectively? And number seven, when listening, are you distracted by outside sights and sounds? Outside sights and sounds. We, we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle. Maybe you can identify with some of those things or maybe all of those things. Obviously, failing to listen, failing to pay attention, can, can not only can it embarrass you, it could, could even get you in some serious trouble, right? 
We know too, don't we, that in our personal relationships, that truly paying attention, truly listening to those people we care about is so important to the good health of those relationships, right? We understand that, don't we? The same is true for our relationship with the Lord. Paying attention to what God has told us, paying attention to what God has taught us in His Word, and been so gracious to tell us in His Word, and revealed to us in Christ. Paying attention to those things is so important for good health spiritually. So critical. And just think, and if listening and paying attention in our personal relationships is so important, then paying attention to what the creator of the universe has told us is critical, isn't it? How dare we not pay attention to the one who made us? This is what we heard from the writer of Hebrews as we came to chapter 2 last Sunday. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the writer says that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ must pay much closer attention to what they have heard lest they drift away from it. I want to look at the passage again this morning. Look at verses 1 through 4 in Hebrews 2. We really didn't get much further than verse 1 last week, but I want to look at this passage again. Verse 1 and 2, 3, and 4. Follow along with me as I read. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, as we came to this text last week, we noted that this is the first of of five sections we're going to find in the text of Hebrews that contains warnings. There are warnings. There are five separate warnings in the text of Hebrews, and as I noted last time, they get a little bit stronger each time, a little bit more serious each time. There was, as we looked at chapter 1, there was no word of instruction there, no command, no warning in all of chapter 1. Do you remember what chapter 1 was about? It's all about Jesus. It's all about shining the light on on our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But now at the beginning of chapter 2, we have this warning. Now, now we're called pay, called to pay attention. And the warning we see here is for believers, which is clear because the writer includes himself in the group to whom he's writing here when he says in verse 1, we, we must pay much closer attention. Now, what are believers to pay much closer attention to? The writer says, what we have heard, right? What we have heard. What's he talking about? Well, he means, he means the gospel of Jesus Christ. He means the good news of Jesus Christ. He means the word of God, which all points, if you think about all of God's word truly, if when you begin to understand the purpose of God's word, it all points to and reveals Jesus Christ. 
Now in verse 3, the writer calls this a, what he's talking about, this is a great salvation, saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now the writer is speaking to believers here, or those whom he, you need to understand this, those whom he assumes are believers because they're in the church, and they and they appear to be believers by what they maybe what they've said or claimed to be. But this should also be a warning that, sh- that should be paid attention to by those who've learned of the gospel, who've heard the good news, who've heard about Jesus Christ, and have not trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because to not trust in Jesus Christ, to hear the good news and not trust in Him, is to make a grave mistake. And so... I appeal to you, if you don't know Christ this morning, you need to hear this message as well as the believer because you're hearing about Jesus Christ. He is, he is your salvation. He is your life. You, you trust in him and you will be saved. But if you ignore this message, you're rejecting Jesus Christ and you pay a grave price for that because those who do not trust in Jesus choose for themselves God's just punishment for their sins. It's something we all deserve. You need to understand that. All people deserve to be punished for their sins. But those who place their faith in Jesus, God says, I forgive you because Jesus paid the price for your sins. Praise God. But the danger of drift for believers in Christ from what we have heard is what the writer is calling our attention to. Yes, this can be a challenge to those who have heard and not believed, but this is a serious challenge that the writer is making to believers. So hear this, believer. Don't say, well, I've heard and I don't need to hear this. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. Because we are in in real danger if we neglect this message. Because coasting as a believer in Jesus Christ, drifting, as the text says, neglecting such a great salvation never brings growth in the Christian life, you will not grow if you find yourself drifting. You will not be growing if you're drifting. Here's here's a warning, and we need to hear this warning, believers. Hear the warning today, believer, that drifting as a Christian means that your walk with Christ is in decline. It is not stationary. It's not even stationary. Drifting is not stationary, is it? Would you agree with me on that, right? Um, when the when when it gets warmer, I don't know when that's going to be, but let's take a couple of canoes to the Osable River, and let's just stay in Grayling. We'll put the we'll put the canoes in the water in Grayling, and let's just stay there, without any oars, with no anchor. Won't that work? <laughs> it's not going to work. Are you a ninny? You're saying to me. I'm you're, I'm not saying that to you. You're saying, are you a ninny? <laughs> And I understand because I understand that, that we're not going to stay in one place. We're going to drift, right? Eventually, we can be in real trouble if we're on the Osable River without a paddle, right? Because you can get in dangerous spots, uh, uh, low-hanging branches and logs in the water and all kinds of hazards right along the way, right? There is no stationary drifting, okay? And so hear the warning today, believer, that drifting as Christian as a Christian, means that your walk with Christ is in decline. Growing in your walk with Christ is never automatic. We cannot take growth in the Christian life for granted. Don't misunderstand me, though. 
Because God's gift of salvation is certainly offered freely to all who believe in Jesus Christ. But salvation from sins does not mean that we may now live as we please. I trusted Jesus. Now I can do what I want. I'm going to heaven. That's not how it works. Because if you've truly trusted in Christ, you will want to grow. I'm not saying you will always be growing. You might struggle, right? Because we still fight sin. But you will want to make progress and you will take steps to make progress. All who have trusted in Jesus are called to an active faith, a deliberate walk with Christ in his word, a walk that is intentional and disciplined, whether you like that word or not. Discipline. We need to embrace discipline in the Christian life. God's word is very clear about this. We hear this from Hebrews 12 too, pointing to the Christian life as one of action. Let us run with endurance, it says. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is not drifting, is it? That's not casual either. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Romans 13, 12 instructs believers to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Does that sound passive to you? It doesn't sound passive to me. God's word does not tell us that being a believer is something that we take lightly or passively. Believers, that is to be, what you heard in the scriptures, which I just read, that is to be your attitude. The same attitude Paul had, that I press on. That I'm, as we hear in Hebrews, I'm running with endurance the race that's set before me. I'm in the race. We ought to have that same attitude. God's word leaves no room for a passive faith. It instructs, it commands an active, deliberate faith, a faith in Christ that pays much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now, why is that so important that we not drift from what we have heard Well, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard because what we have heard reveals an incredibly great salvation. Now, what is that great salvation? Think about it. What we have heard reveals an incredibly great salvation. What is that? It is salvation from sins, isn't it? It is salvation from sins through faith in Christ. And it is a great salvation because of this. Think of this. Jesus paid the debt for your sins. Jesus paid the debt for my sins. I didn't pay the debt for my sins. You didn't pay the debt for your sins. And you will never be held accountable to pay the debt for your sins. Jesus did that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, we sing, right? All to him I owe. You place your faith in Jesus and God forgives your sin and saves your soul, giving you new life, 
giving you eternal life in Christ. It's all the work of Jesus Christ making this a truly great salvation. Amen? I mean, this, it's all Christ. It's all about what Jesus did for me. It's all about what he did for you. Now let's note how the writer supports this argument for not neglecting so great a salvation. He's making it clear why this is such a great salvation. First, if we understand what this great salvation accomplishes, then we should see that everybody needs it. Do you understand that? Everybody on planet Earth needs this great salvation. Look at verse 3 again. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Did you hear the word I emphasized there? How shall we escape? Now, why would the, why would the word escape be there? That sounds like a dangerous territory, doesn't it? How shall we escape, says verse 3, telling us that our lives are at great risk? All We hear it in Romans 3.23. All have what? Sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. We all face eternal separation from God and His just wrath. I know you don't like it to think about God's wrath, but we must think about God's wrath. It is just. It's justifiable. It is a righteous wrath. Why? Because we all have sinned against God. And this salvation is great because it is only God's grace that keeps all who believe in His Son from facing God's just wrath. For the wages of sin is death, says Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And without exception, we all need this incredibly great salvation. We all need God's gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life given only by Christ and received only through faith in Christ. But how But how can we know that this is true? How can we know that this is true? Note this. We can know this is true because what we have heard comes from Jesus Christ himself. There's the first, the first piece of evidence here. There's more. Here's the first one. We can know this is true because what we have heard comes from Jesus Christ himself. Look at verse 3 again. It says, verse 3, it was declared at first by the Lord. It was declared at first by the Lord. Remember, all we heard about Christ, remember, think back to chapter 1. Remember, all we heard about Jesus Christ in chapter 1. Think about all of, all of chapter 1 pointing to the supremacy of Christ. He is better than all, better than everything. And just in case you think angels are mighty, he's better than the angels, says chapter 1. And remember how back in chapter 1 and verse 6, we heard Jesus called the firstborn. Now remember, that is firstborn as in preeminence. The Bible talks about first being firstborn and often points to, to a place, a position of authority, a preeminence, not as in the first to be born, okay, don't, don't misunderstand that. Jesus is firstborn as in preeminence. Jesus is not a created being. That's, that's why Hebrews 1.8 said of Jesus, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is the Son God? <laughs> oh, yes, says verse 
8 in chapter 1, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And then verse 10 made it clear that Jesus was there at creation. Not only was he there, he laid the foundation of the earth. He laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of his hands. And that's why verses, uh, verse 1 in chapter 2, when we get to chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore, <laughs> right, pointing back to all we heard about who Jesus is and his preeminence and his superiority and his place of authority and his very, the very fact that he is God, Therefore, because of all we know about who Jesus is and what he has done and what has been made clear, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Therefore, because Jesus is superior, because Jesus is better than everyone and everything, therefore, this salvation is great because the Supreme One makes it great. It is a great salvation because the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who made purification for sins. Something that we could not and can never do for ourselves. And because he is finished, meaning there will never be the need for another sacrifice for sins ever again, he sat down, it says, at the right hand of the majesty on high. And note this. That also makes what we have heard that is, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that makes what we have heard a trustworthy and reliable message. Look at verse 2 again. It says in verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Now, why is that important? Well, because if the message is unreliable, then we're wasting our time, aren't we? But hear me and hear God's word. The message is not unreliable. It is not unreliable. We are not wasting our time because verse 2 says, the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. Now maybe you're wondering, what does that, mess what does that mean, message declared by angels? What is that message declared by angels? Well, that is actually pointing to the law given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, we're not told directly in the Old Testament that angels gave the law to Moses, but it's implied in the Old Testament in passages like Deuteronomy 33.2, where it says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Also, Psalm 68, verse 17 says, The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. And that is confirmed for us when we come to the New Testament in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38 where it says, This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And later this in verse 53 of Acts 7, you who receive the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, often when we think of the law, we think of the Ten Commandments. And Sinai points to those Ten Commandments, but, but the law isn't only the Ten Commandments. It's not only those Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. The law 
Understand this, the law is all of God's word. It is all spoken by God, it's all the law. The law is all of God's word, and that means that all of God's word is trustworthy. All of God's word is reliable. And because what you are uh, hearing here, because what you're being told in the scriptures, being told by God's word is true, and it is trustworthy, you can put your faith in the one it reveals. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not all the evidence. There's more. It's not all the evidence of the trustworthiness of God's word. Note also that verse 3 says that it was attested to by those who heard. Now, who's that? Well, that's pointing to the apostles who witnessed the life, the teaching, the ministry, the miracles of Jesus Christ while he walked this earth, while he lived a sinless life, and then he died a cruel death on the cross, and then he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. The apostles and many others witnessed all these things, and that's why you can trust his word, the word of God, and that's why you should give careful attention to it, lest you drift from the truth, lest you neglect and make little of such a great salvation. You see, it's a serious thing to neglect and take lightly the message of salvation. It's a serious thing to neglect and take lightly any of God's word. You see, the writer of Hebrews makes it plain here. It is a serious thing to take lightly God's message of salvation because, and note this, the consequences for disobedience are serious. The consequences for disobedience are are very serious. As verse 2 says, And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Now that is pointing back to examples of God's punishment seen in the Old Testament, which called for stiff penalties for disobedience. You spend any time reading the Old Testament, you'll you'll come to them, you'll see them, and you'll say, Wow, God takes sin seriously. God God ordered some to be stoned. Sometimes God sent punishment right from heaven or in plagues because of disobedience. God takes sin seriously. God takes disobedience to him very seriously. Now, if God treated disobedience with, with great punishment, then, in those times we see in the Old Testament, if he took sin and and disobedience very seriously and punished then, how can we expect him not to punish those who disobey him now by refusing to believe in Jesus? And how can we, as believers, even those who say, I trust in Jesus, how can we, how can we dream that we will escape much grief and much sorrow if we neglect the truth of God's word? God will not let us be comfortable in our sin. He will not bless our sin. If we say we're believers and we read God's word and say, yep, that's true, and then we don't do it, he is not going to let us be happy about that. We're going to be miserable. How shall we escape being miserable if we neglect such a great salvation, if we make little what Jesus Christ accomplished for us? And I I want to just give a word to, to, to those who have heard that you can trust in Christ and plan on going to heaven, but you don't have to live in obedience to God. That's wrong. That's wrong. You have to live in obedience to God because your obedience shows you and shows others that you truly do believe in Jesus Christ. And it should be evidence to you that if you disobey God and you never turn to him in repentance and you never long to get things right with him, that should be a testimony to you that you are not saved. 
And you should trust in Jesus Christ because God's not going to bless your disobedience. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. I'm suggesting you never had it. It's something to take very seriously. I don't think we should let people be encouraged that you said a prayer one day, so you've got to be saved, even though you're living like the devil and you've never never really obeyed God. That's not biblical salvation, is it? God's word says, obey, right? There's, there's the fruit of the Spirit that should be evident in the life of a believer. I'm not suggesting that we would never sin. Yes, we may sin. But what do we do when we sin? The believer repents and turns away from that and wants to be right with God. The one who's satisfied in their sin had better examine their hearts. It's likely they've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ, and it's time to put your faith in him now and turn from your sin. But listen, God is also gracious. It's clear by what we see in verse 4, where it says that God also used signs and wonders to validate and confirm his message. Think of that. Look at verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Did God need to send signs and wonders? Do you think God needed to do that? You think God was up in heaven going, oh, no, you know, I just don't think they're going to believe unless I do something. I think I'll send some miracles and some signs. And what did God need to do that? No, God is God. <laughs> you understand God could have just declared. This is truth. Believe it or not. But God is gracious. I see God's grace in the miracles. Do you see that? I see God's mercy in sending signs and wonders. Did God need to send signs and wonders? Absolutely not. But God was gracious to also give signs and wonders, and by God's grace, it makes clear in verse 4 that God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And what the writer is pointing to here are the miracles that were performed primarily by the apostles. You can see them mostly in the Acts of the Apostles in, in the book of Acts. Now, why did God give signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit? He gave them primarily to confirm that the message of the one preaching was truly from God himself. He gave them so that people who heard the message declared could say, this is truly from God. See, the miracles were to authenticate the message and the messenger. And so we're to look we're to look to God for signs and wonders, right? Hmm, wait. What did they lack? What did they lack? They well, it wasn't that they lacked faith so much as they lacked the complete word of God. Think about it. They didn't have the message totally revealed in his word, right? They didn't have a complete scriptures, the complete scriptures, the Bible. You see, God gave them signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit because they didn't have the completed word of God yet. And it was being written and it was being preached right into existence and it was being written. God was giving it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't complete yet. But God in his grace gave signs and wonders and miracles then. And God has given 
graciously given us his word. We have his completed word. Do we need, am I saying that God can't work signs and wonders and miracles now? Oh, no. God can do whatever he wants. But I believe since he has given us his word, we don't see the prevalence of the signs and wonders and works of miracles, do we? We don't need them because he's given us his word. He's declared his truth in his word. And we must take heed to what we have heard. That's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, do not take lightly what you have heard. Do not drift. Pay attention to what you have heard. You see, God in his grace gave signs and wonders and miracles then, and God has been gracious to give us the completed word of God. And for that, we ought to praise him, that we can hold his word in our hands and hide it in our hearts. But I want you to understand this. The point here isn't the signs and wonders. Let's be careful that we don't get hung up on the signs and wonders. We tend to do that sometimes. That's why chapter 1, because there were a lot of people in their day, and even even people in our day who give a lot of or too much credit to angels and really want to know about angels. Let's find out about angels. Forget the angels. Think about Jesus. Forget the miracles. Think about Jesus. The point is not the miracles. The point is not the signs and wonders. The point is Jesus cannot have too much of him. I cannot speak too much of him. You cannot hear too much of him. You will not find too much of him in in God's word. The point is not the signs and wonders. The point is God's grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is not that we look for signs and wonders. The point is not that we pray for signs and wonders. The point is that we look to the exalted son of Jesus Christ with faith. The Son that Jesus, the Son Jesus Christ that is revealed in God's Word. And the challenge for us today is not that we need God to show Himself to us. He's already done so very clearly in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The challenge for us today is will we be intentional, purposeful, deliberate in our walk with Christ? Will we pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift, lest we neglect such a great salvation? As Warren Wearsby warns, more spiritual problems are caused by neglect than perhaps by any other failure on our part. You realize that in a spiritual life, often when you find you're, you're far from God, you got there slowly. It wasn't because you all of a sudden exploded into sin. And Wearsby is right. He says, we neglect God's word, prayer, worship with God's people, and other opportunities for spiritual growth, and as a result, we start to drift. It is very subtle. And so we're called to pay attention. Pay much closer attention. Let's not neglect such an incredible gift from God through Christ as our salvation. It is such an incredible gift. Let's not neglect it. Let's not not neglect the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's not neglect God's word. Let's pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for the good news. We thank you and praise you for this word that you have been so gracious to give us, that we can open it and read it, and learn from it, and be changed by it, and grow in it, pour it into our hearts and minds and lives to direct our our thinking, our words, our actions, our steps, our work. 
God, help us to not neglect what we have heard. Help us not to drift. Lord, I pray for believers today that each and every person here, every, each and every person here who's trusted Jesus Christ would take very seriously what they have heard and be very intentional in their faith, walking with Christ, looking faithfully to the Word day by day, talking to you in prayer, trusting you in prayer, asking for your will to be done, and asking for the joy and the peace that's ours when we rest in you and we're content in what you provide. Oh God, I pray for your church that we would not drift, that we would not be found here should you tarry ten years from now right where we are. Because we will not be where we are. We will be in decline if we're drifting. Oh God, that you would find us as long as you tarry faithful, obedient, growing, becoming more Christ-like day by day. with lives that declare the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that others might see him and look to him in faith and be saved. Lord, help us not to drift. Help us to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, that we might grow by it, that we might be blessed by it, for your glory and absolutely for our good. And we praise you for that, that it is for our good. You are so good to us. You've given us so many blessings. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.